All right, M12, how are we doing? Man, uh, what, a, what a good night. I mean, this is like we're, like, we can basically be done with church now, you know, <laughs> like, baptisms are incredible. Thank you guys so much for being here tonight. Thank you to all the parents and relatives and friends that made a special trip to be here tonight. Uh, this is so good. Thank you guys. Uh, so just so you know, my name is Steve. I'm privileged to be the middle school and high school pastor here at the Sugarloaf Campus. And uh, we do this every single Thursday night. It's called M12, which means middle school at 12 stone. And we do this not only during the school year, but also over the summer. So that means when you're done with tests, when you're done with school, we're still doing this. Still doing this. And so uh, definitely come check it out. Keep coming back because we believe that although God has already done some incredible stuff, we don't think he's done. We think he has more in store for us. So, thank you all again for being here. Uh, those of you that have been here before know that we're in the middle of this series called Getting Past Your Past. And the big idea of this series is that, is that the events of our past have a way of showing up in our future. That no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter if you've been here before or this is your first time, the events of our past have a way of showing up again and again in our future. So this whole series is all about how to navigate through life getting past your past. And so tonight I want to talk about two words that I think are incredibly difficult to say. Like for whatever reason, these two words just seem to cause so much anxiety within us. Like it's, it's like something dies in us if we have to say these words. Or at least to say these words and actually mean them is so, just so difficult for us. These two words are, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That for whatever reason, I don't know why, maybe it's our pride, maybe it's the culture that we're in, but saying the words, I'm sorry, is so difficult. And so it actually reminds me of when I was six years old, and I was, uh, I was sitting next to this girl who had perfect pigtails, uh, like, like just like pristine, magazine quality, like just like what you would expect when you think of Pigtails. You guys know what pigtails are, by the way, right? It's like when, like this stuff on the side. Yeah. So she had these pigtails, and I'm telling you, man, they were perfect. Like she, she had her hair perfectly parted down the middle. Like it was even hair distribution on both sides. And also, as a quick side note, no one ever called her butt cut. Okay. So I'm a little offended. Whatever. It's fine. I'm over it. So. So I'm sitting next to this girl, she's got perfect pigtails, and we're in arts and crafts. And so the teacher hands me, six-year-old boy, construction paper and a shiny new pair of scissors. Yeah. Like you can guess, you can imagine what happens next. And I think, I think that that really wasn't my fault. Right? It was the teacher. The teacher should have realized that if I'm next to a girl with perfect pigtails, you don't hand a six-year-old boy a pair of scissors. Like you just, you don't. But she did. She handed me the scissors and I cut one of her pigtails off. Just gone. It was gone. And, and here's the deal. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but pigs only have one tail. So I was helping her out. You know what I'm saying? She has pigs. Like, it's only supposed to, anyways. Um, 
Also, you're not going to believe me when I say this, but I promise this is true. Uh, she was right next to me, and she looked at me, she looked at me, and she said, hey, you want to try out those scissors on my hair? Like, she actually said that, and I think what she meant was like, here's a strand, want to try? But I saw it, and I said, yeah, and then cut off her pigtail, and that was it. Anyways, she didn't, uh, my mom actually, when she found out, she was, of course, upset. She didn't believe the whole, she told me to do so, but it's whatever. Uh, so I, I then had to, as part of my punishment, I had to apologize, right? I had to go up to this girl whose hair I cut off, and I had to apologize for what I had done. And so I did what many of you have probably done when your parents make you apologize, right? Where like your mom's like, hey, you need to go apologize. And so then you do this. You go, sorry. And then you, and then you head for the exit because you're done. Because saying those words is so difficult. Like it is so tough to say I'm sorry and actually mean I'm sorry. Because when you say you're sorry, like you're saying that you did something wrong. You're saying that you're the one at fault. That it's not them, it's you. That you are the one to blame. That you're wrong and they're right. And, and, and we just hate, we hate doing this. We do. In fact, growing up, I, uh, there were two words that I loved to say, and I said them all the time. It was the words, I know. I know. I would say, I know, all the time. Even when I didn't know. Okay? Even when I didn't understand, even when I didn't know, I would say, I know. I know. So, for instance, my mom, uh, one time she came home from work. She said, hey, your father and I were talking, and uh, instead of steak tonight, we're going to have chicken. And so I said, okay, I know, I know. And she said, no, you don't know, because your father and I just talked about it, and you were not part of the conversation. And I said, whoa, mom, okay, I know, I know. No, Stephen, you don't know. Why do you keep saying, and like this just continued over and over again, because I wanted to be right. Because I didn't want to be wrong. I didn't want to act like I didn't know something. I want to be the one in the right. I don't want it to be my fault. I want it to be someone else's fault. I want to be the one that's right. And the problem is, when you say I'm sorry, and you actually mean it, what you're saying is, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. So when you say you're sorry and you actually mean it, what you're saying is, I'm wrong. And this, this is just, we hate this. We hate admitting to other people that we're wrong. We always want to be right. We want them to be the ones that are wrong and we to be the ones that are right. This is why whenever there's conflict between you and someone else, well, it's always the other person's fault, right? I mean, it's not me. It's them. Like, if you're, um, if you're arguing loudly with your best friend, well, they're the ones that started it. It wasn't me. It was them. Or like, okay, well, they started it. Uh, or I started it, but they're the ones that finished it, right? Like, just because I said that thing doesn't mean they had to respond the way they did. It's their fault. It's not my fault. It's their fault. I'm not the one that's wrong. They're the ones that are wrong. Or uh, how about this? When your parents tell you to do something, and then you disobey them, and then they get mad at you for disobeying, well, they're the ones with an anger management problem. <laughs> like, they need to go see someone about that, Okay. Like, no, 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 like, it's not my fault for disobeying. It's their fault for getting angry. They need to control that stuff. You know, that's, that's their fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Or, like, if you're gossiping about someone behind their back, and then they find out about it, and they get angry at you, you're like, whoa, chill out. It was a joke. Like, why do you take things so seriously? 
Like, what is, your, what is your problem? Not what is my problem. What is your problem? Because we don't want to admit that we're wrong. We're the ones that are right. We're the ones that know everything. And they're the ones that have a problem. Not me, it's them. And this, I'm telling you, this is the culture that Jesus stepped into. He stepped into a culture where people love pointing the blame at other people. Love telling other people they were the ones that were wrong and we're the ones that are right. They're the ones that are at fault. We're the ones that are good. We're the ones that are righteous. But they're, oh, they're the bad ones. And so Jesus steps into this and he addresses this issue of being I'm sorry. And so I want to look at a story that he told that's found in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, they should be under your chair or in your lap. Turn to Luke chapter 15. And this is on page 1047. Page 1047, Luke chapter 15. And while you're turning there, I just want to give you a little bit of backstory. Jesus had this incredible ability to teach. Taught people all the time. One of the things that he did often was that he taught the religious people and the non-religious people. Okay? So that means he taught the people that were always in church, the people that always did the right stuff, the people that were kind of goody two-shoes, like whenever the doors of the church were open, they were there. He taught the religious people, but he also, he also taught the non-religious people, like the people that didn't really like church, the people that partied on the weekend, the people that did really bad stuff, the people that felt like if I walk into a church, then like lightning is going to strike me because of all the stuff I've done. Jesus had a phenomenal ability to talk to both groups of people at the same time. And what's funny, what's funny to me is that it was the non-religious people that loved Jesus. See, even though Jesus was the Son of God, like he was God in human flesh on earth, and even though that was true for him, it was the non-religious people that loved being around Jesus. In other words, the people that hated being at church loved being around Jesus. They did. And so Jesus addresses both of those people at the beginning of, Matthew cha- of uh, Luke chapter 15. He says this. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners, okay, these are the bad people. Like these are the non-righteous. These are the people that would never go to church. These are the people that party on the weekends. These are the people that do stuff that you don't want your parents to know about. They're the really, really bad people. They were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But, but. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These are the people that were righteous, or at least thought they were righteous. These are the people that love being at church. They always read scripture. They always seem to do the right thing. And this is what they did. They started muttering among themselves. They started talking to each other. They said, this man, talking about Jesus, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In other words, Jesus, Jesus, time out. Don't you realize who you're hanging out with? Like, don't you realize that those people are bad? They're bad people. They have a history. They have a past. Jesus, I don't think you've done your research. We're the good guys. You should hang out with all the good guys. They're the ones that are at fault. They're the ones that have done something wrong. It's not us. It's them. They're the ones that that, that should be sorry. We're the ones that have done everything right. Why are you hanging out with them? And so Jesus sees this situation unfold. He sees the tax collectors and sinners, the bad guys, and he sees the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And Jesus realizes something that neither group realizes. Jesus realizes that 
both groups are wrong. That both groups are at fault. That both groups need to apologize. That even the people that thought they were righteous and thought it had, had it all together, they were the ones that were in the wrong too. And they needed to apologize, even though they didn't realize it. So Jesus sees this unfold, and he decides to tell them a story. And the story starts just a few verses later on the next page. Verse 11. So Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, some of you have parents that are saving up money right now. Part of the reason your parents are saving up money is so that when they get older, they can retire. Another reason they're saving up money is so that after that, when they pass away, they want to give you an inheritance. They want to bless you. They want to give you money. And it was the same in Jesus' day. There were people that saved up money, and they saved up money, and they saved up money, so that one day, many, many, many years from now, they could hand off an inheritance to their children. So this guy goes up to his dad and says, hey, dad, you know how, um, you know how you're like saving up money for me for like after you pass away? Dad's like, yeah. He's like, cool. Uh, can we skip the part of like me waiting a long time? Can you just give me the money right now? In other words, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. I just want your money. It's not a good thing. In other words, he's, he's, he, he's looking at his dad. He says, hey, dad, I don't really care about you. And I don't really care about your job. I don't care about all the time that you spend doing all the stuff that you do. I don't really care about any part of you. The only thing I care about is what you have to offer me. So give me the money because I'm done here. I'm done with this family. I'm done with these people. I just want to go. I just want your money. That's what he says to his dad. Pretty selfish. Also, if you're taking notes, do not do this at home. Won't go well. It will not go well. But look, look at what happens. So he, the father, divided his property between them. So after the son went on his little tirade about how he didn't care about him, the dad said, here you go. And he gave him the money. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son, the one who had just stolen all his dad's money, the one who didn't want to wait for him to die and said, I wish you were dead, that son got together all he had, which was all the money that he took. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And this is the part of the story that gets cray, okay? This is where the son goes bananas. I'm talking Red Bull and vodka. This was not PG rated, guys. He was not, don't take notes. Don't take notes. So he's partying, he's doing whatever he wants, with whoever he wants, and he doesn't really care. Hashtag Pixie Sticks and Patron is getting crazy in there. It's getting, do not tweet that, don't do that, don't do that. It's, it's, it's beyond, like he is partying, he's going crazy, he's doing whatever he wants, and he doesn't care, because dad's not around, and his friends aren't around, and he's just partying. And he parties so hard, so hard. That he loses all of his money. All of it. So all the money that he took from dear old dad is now gone. Because he spent it all. 
And then look at what happens in verse 14. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. See, all of a sudden, the events of his past caught up to his future. And at one time, he was partying, he was having a good time, he didn't care about daddy, he didn't care about his family, he thought he was on top of the world, he thought he was invincible, he thought no one could touch him, it didn't matter what he did, and then, one day, he began to be in need. And some of you in this room, you don't really care what your parents think, you don't really care what God thinks. You don't really care what I think. You don't care what your teachers think. You don't care what your friends think. You're just on top of the world, having fun, doing whatever you want with whomever you want, and you don't think there's any consequences. And so you're just having a good time. You're just partying. But one day, the events of your past will catch up to your future. And one day you'll begin to be in need. And that day may be a week from now, maybe a month from now, maybe years from now, but one day... All the people that you hurt, all that you did will begin to hurt you. All the relationships that you broke will begin to break you. And you'll begin to be in need. Just like this guy. In fact, he's so much in need, not only is, are all his relationships ruined. You notice, by the way, all his friends are gone. What happened to the friends where he was partying with? They're all gone. And he doesn't have a relationship with his dad or his family, or anything. He's in need. So much in need that, that he's like starving for food. He wants food. He's hungry for any food. In fact, he looks, this, this is part of the story. It's crazy. He looks at pig slop, okay? Pig food. Nasty pig food. And he says, I gotta give me some of that. Like, that looks delicious. Which, again, I'm always hungry. Like, I love eating. Some of you that know me, you know that. Like, I just will eat at all times. In fact, if someone gave me food right now, I would eat it. I'm hungry. Like, I'm just always hungry. Uh, like, I could be sitting down and have 24 wings, eat all of them, and then if you were to come up to me and say, hey, you want to grab some pizza? I'd say, yeah, let's go. Like, I'm ready. But I've never been so hungry that I've looked at a can of Alpo dog food and said, mmm, give me some of that. Yeah. Whoa, wait, you got that Frisky's Fancy Feast? Okay. Yeah, let's do that. I'm so hungry. I've never been that hungry. Never been that hungry. And yet this guy, so hungry that he's looking at pig food saying, I'm just, I just want anything right now. Like to say that he's at the end of his rope would be an understatement. And then this happens. Verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses... And I'm telling you, this is the pivotal moment in our story. This is the eureka moment. This is like the light bulb has gone off. And all of a sudden, he realized something that he never realized before. He realized something that would forever change his life. He realized, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. For the first time, he realized this was not his dad's fault. This was not... His mom's fault. This was not his friend's fault. This was not his ex-girlfriend or his ex-boyfriend's fault. This was not anyone's fault but his own. I am wrong. 
And the truth is, this is, this is true for him. It's true for all of us in this room. In fact, it was true for every single person listening to Jesus as he was telling this story. I'm wrong. See, because every time you disobey your parents, you're wrong. And every time you cheat and lie or steal, you're wrong. And when you go upstairs to your room late at night, turn on your computer, and you look at porn, you're wrong. You're wrong. See, we're all at fault. All of us have sinned. All of us have messed up. All of us could admit what the son admitted. I'm wrong. I'm the one that's messed up. It's me. And so for some of you, there's some of you in this room that you need to go talk to your parents and you need to apologize. Because you're wrong. There's some of you in the room that maybe it's an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend and you need to apologize to them and say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Or maybe, maybe there's some of you in here that are like the son in the story and the person you need to apologize. The person you need to apologize to is God. And say to God, God, I'm sorry. And see, this is what he does. In verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And again, you have to remember, he had no idea, no idea how his father would respond. Like you remember the last thing he said to his dad, right? He said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't care about you or your family. And now he's starting to replay that conversation in his mind. And he's like, dang it, why did I say that? Like now I'm starving to death. I'm separated from my father. I'm wrong. I need to go back to him. And I'm telling you this. The father had every right to say, no, no, no. No, you're not welcome back here, okay? You owe me big time. Son, do you know how much you cost this family? Do you realize the amount of money and the amount of time it took to save up all that? And then you ruined it and you wasted it. No, 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 you owe me all the shame that you brought to this family because of your actions. No, you owe me. The father had every right to say, in fact, you're no longer my son. I disown you. Remember how you said you didn't want to be my son? Well, great, because now you're not. You were disowned. And the father could have said that. But look at how the father responds. In verse 20, the father says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. <laughs> See, <laughs> while the son was partying, while the son was doing whatever he wanted to with whomever he wanted to, while he was, while he was just going crazy, do you know what the father was doing? The father was at home sitting on the edge of his seat looking for his son. Waiting. Waiting for the day when maybe, just maybe, that son would come home. And so the dad's looking. And he's scanning the horizon. And he says, wait. Hold on. Hold on, is that him? That's him. Oh my goodness. My son. 
My son's home. My son is home. And then look at what happens. Look, he says, so then he ran to his son, so excited that he finally sees his son at the horizon, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, now just imagine for a second that you're the son. Let's go to the point of view of the son. You're walking home. You smell like pig food, okay? You've got like tattered clothes on, and you're like, you're, you're barely able to make it home. You're starving to death. And you're starting to replay the last conversation you had with your dad about how you told him you wished he was dead, about how you told him all these terrible things. And as you're replaying that conversation, you see a shadowy distance in the figure running after you, like chasing you down. And then it hits you and you're like, I'm dead. This is it. Okay. Okay. Here he comes. Yeah, this is, yeah, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. Why didn't I just stay with the pigs? They had such good food. I just could have chilled there. Why? Oh, man, he's after me. He's probably got a knife and, 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 and a gun uh, or both or like a knife at the end of a gun. I don't know, but he's going to kill me. Like, it's over. My dad is coming after me, and he's going to kill me. And then imagine his surprise when the dad hugs him, throws his arms around him. And the son starts rehearsing his speech, and he says, no, dad, I, uh, I don't know what you're doing right now. This is weird, but I've messed up against you. And the dad says, you're forgiven. You don't owe me anymore. No, you're my son, and you're forgiven. Just like that. And not only did the father embrace him, not only did the father let him into his family, but then the father threw a party. And it was not like the party that he had had before, this son had had before. No, it was a party, not because he was separated from his father, but because he was near to his father. And for the first time, he realized that his father loved him. See, Jesus told this story because he knew that his audience needed to hear about a son admitting that he was wrong. And he knew that the audience needed to hear a story about a son apologizing. But even more than that, he knew that his audience needed to hear about a father who would sacrifice to forgive his son. See, it costs the father to forgive his son. The father had to personally pay for all of the son's mistakes. The father sacrificed to forgive his son. And Jesus, telling this story, Jesus was familiar with sacrifice. See, because Jesus personally paid for your mistakes. It cost Jesus his very life to forgive you. In fact, when Jesus told this story, he was weeks away from being crucified. Weeks away from taking Jesus And nailing him to a cross where he would suffer and he would die for you. So Jesus was familiar with sacrifice. Jesus knew what it meant to sacrifice for someone that you love. And so they took Jesus and they crucified him. And he died because he loved you so very much. And so I know there's some of you in this room that you've never made a decision to trust Jesus as your Savior. 
There's never been a moment where you've said to Jesus, I'm sorry, and accepted his forgiveness. And maybe for you, like maybe the reason that you never ask God for forgiveness is because you didn't think you had anything to apologize for. Because you're living high, everything is good, it doesn't really matter what you do, but maybe tonight you realize for the first time, I, I do have something to apologize for. Because we all do. Because when Jesus told this story, he was talking to both groups of people so they could realize that they were all in the wrong. And that we need to be forgiven by our Father in heaven. Or maybe for you, maybe, maybe you know all the stuff that you've done in the past. Like you're well aware of your sin. But you had no idea how your heavenly Father would react. Maybe, maybe you thought that God was out to get you. And that the moment that you confessed something bad that you did, that that God would say, I, I told you, I told you, now I'm going to bring guilt, and I'm going to bring shame, and I'm going to make you feel terrible for all the stuff that you've done. And you had no idea that your heavenly father was waiting at the edge of his seat for you to come home. That your heavenly father is scanning the horizon, waiting for the day. When you would ask him for forgiveness. And so if that's you tonight, and you know that tonight is the night that you need to ask God for forgiveness, I want to lead you in a prayer. So if you would, everyone, bow your head and close your eyes. And I know there's many of you in this room that you've you've already made the decision to trust Jesus as your Savior. And maybe for some of you it was last week, maybe it was a few months ago, maybe it was a few years ago. But for those of you that have already made that decision, we are so excited for you and we're so grateful that you've trusted Christ as your Savior and that you've asked Him for forgiveness. And this moment right now is not for you. This moment is for those of you that have never said I'm sorry to God. That you've never asked for forgiveness from your heavenly father. That you've never trusted in Jesus' death on the cross for you to forgive you. And if that's you tonight, I want to lead you in this prayer. So if you would, in your mind, just repeat this prayer after me. God, I'm sorry. I know that I've messed up, and I know that I don't deserve to be forgiven, but because your son died on the cross for me and personally paid for my mistakes, I know I can be forgiven. So I trust Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Now keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If, if, if that's you tonight, and you've never made the decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, and tonight was the night that you nailed that down, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want you to raise your hand. Just slip your hand up. Awesome. Awesome. We're so excited for you. All right, if everyone could look up at me. At the end of the story, Jesus, Jesus talked about the fact that they celebrated because the son who was far away 
had finally come home. And, and it's true for us today that when people who don't know about Jesus first find out that they can be forgiven by Jesus, all of heaven celebrates. So let's join heaven in celebrating the fact that God has rescued people tonight. And for those of you in this room, and that's you, and you're the one that made that decision, we're, we're clapping for you. And not just us, but heaven is celebrating with you. We are. And you've already made a very, a, a very bold step by raising your hand. But I want to ask you to do one more bold step. To do one more bold step. While this song is being played... I'm going to be right there in the back corner, and I want to personally celebrate with you, and I have a gift that I want to give you to mark this day where you accepted Christ as your Savior. So during this song, if that's you, then I want to encourage you to get up, and I know, I know it's going to be nerve-wracking, but I encourage you to get up, to meet me over there. I'm telling you, when you walk over there, the room is going to celebrate, because we're excited for you to make this decision. So if you know that's you, I want you to join me over there while we sing this song. So let me pray for you real quick. God, I pray specifically for the students who made that decision, and I know, I know that it takes lots of boldness for them to step up and to walk out. But I thank you that you have been even more bold than we are by sending your son to die for us. So would you give them that boldness to stand up so that we can celebrate how you have saved their life. In Jesus' name. Amen.